Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hey, Ephesians chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, thank you to our worship team. We do such a fantastic job today. You don't know this, but a lot of them get here right after 6 o'clock in the morning. Denny, what time does the choir get here? 7? 7 o'clock. The choir gets here 7 o'clock every Sunday morning to practice and get ready for Sunday. So all this doesn't happen by accident, plus their practices on Wednesday night. And and a lot of the worship team's here at 6 in the morning. And so, man, I I appreciate them helping us worship the Lord today. Hey, I started a sermon series a, a few weeks ago entitled One Matters. And we've been looking at one soul matters, one prayer matters, one decision matters, one person matters. And today I want to preach on this subject. One word matters. Ephesians chapter 4. One word matters. As a matter of fact, I could challenge you today to go back and think about a conversation or a word that devastated you. Most of you can go there in your minds. I could tell you to go back to a word that encouraged you and you could go back into your minds because one word matters. Now, I don't know if what I'm about to tell you or not, I'm honest, I'm not a scientist. I, I just report the facts. I don't make them, you know, and, and, and there's this scientist named Dr. Emoto. And Dr. Emoto, who since passed away, it was a Japanese scientist who, who, who did studies on thoughts and words against the molecular structure of water. And so here's what Dr. Emoto did. He studied the effects of words and language on water. And so he would look at, he would say, have harmful words spoken to water and and positive words spoken to water. And then he would crystallize them and he would see the shapes that the words made. And so here's what he said. I'm not telling you the truth. Some say it's pseudoscience. Some say it was legit. Some say it's not. I don't know. Here's what he said. He said, when you speak harmful words to water and then you crystallize it, that it takes on distorted shapes. But when you say positive words to water, and crystallize it, it takes on beautiful shapes. As a matter of fact, he, he published it in a, in a study. And, and here you see the top row is negative and the bottom row is positive. And here's what the top left, here's what heavy metal music does to water, apparently. You crystallize it and it goes there. And then if you say to your water, you make me sick, I will kill you, because that's what I say to water all the time, you make me sick. Here's what I say to water, Diet Coke is better than you. That's what I say. Uh, then it turns that ugly shape. And then when you play tapes of Adolf Hitler, that top right-hand corner, that's what shape it takes. But now if you go down to the bottom, you say thank you to your water and you crystallize it, it makes that beautiful shape. There in the middle, you, you, you say love and appreciation to water and it forms that beautiful shape. And then you play tapes of Mother Teresa speaking and it forms that, that beautiful shape. Now, I can't tell you if it's, true or not. I'm just telling you what he said. Matter of fact, I I don't know if any of that is true or not, but here's what I do know. I don't know how much your words affect water. I don't know how much your words affect rice, but here's what I do know. Your words affect those who are around you. 
As a matter of fact, your success or failure in life is largely dependent upon your words because your words have extreme power in your life. And the Bible's full of Bible verses that tell us that. If you're like me and you read a Proverbs a day, you're going to see that Proverbs is full of Bible verses. Let me show you a few Proverbs and then even one that's not uh, Proverbs. Here, here's what he says in Proverbs 15:4: The tongue that heals is a tree of life. But a devious tongue breaks the spirit. So here's we're told that there are words that can bring healing in your life and there are words that can break your spirit. There are words that can bring encouragement in your life and then there are words that can bring discouragement in your life. Proverbs, Proverbs 16 says this, pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the taste and health of the body. In the Old Testament, when, when the Bible wanted to talk about something that was sweet and beneficial, it often uses that analogy of a honeycomb. And here's what he says in Proverbs 16, 24. Good words, encouraging words are sweet to the taste. They even bring health to the body. Proverbs 18. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life. There are words that bring life to people. And then there, there's a word that brings death to people and you hold the power to both in your tongue. Paul said, Colossians chapter four, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that we know how you should answer each person always using gracious speech. And finally in Proverbs 25, words spoken at the right time is like gold, apples in a silver setting. Here's what he means by that. A rightly spoken word will always stand out. And here's what the Bible tries to put on us and emphasize that every word matters, that a single word matters, that the words you speak and the things you say, they affect your life and they affect the lives of everybody around you. Listen to me. Hey, please hear what I'm about to say. Chances are your marriage that you have right now is a direct reflection of the words you use in your marriage. The relationship you have with your husband, the relationship you have with your wife is a direct result of the words you use. The, your family condition is a direct result of the words you use. Teenagers, your relationship with your parents is a direct result. Parents, your relationship with your teenagers is a direct result of the words you use. Mom, the, the, your, your relationship in your family is because of your words, good or bad. Dad, your words, good or bad. The relationships and friendships you have are a result of your words. The success you have in your work or your business is a result of your words. The success or lack thereof that you have in a church life and in your walk with God will look later on is a direct result of your words. Listen to me. Every word matters. One word matters. We have got to get a handle on our words because what we need to understand is every word and one word can make a tremendous difference. And here's what... Paul was trying to tell us, Paul was trying to say, you have to pay attention to your words. And while I've been preaching this sermon series, I've preached some Bible passages I've never preached before. Two of these sermons I've preached, I've never preached those Bible passages. Two of these sermons I have preached before, and this is one of those I've preached this Bible passage. Why? Because listen, this you will hear over the years from your pastor. You will hear me preach these verses every year or two. Why? Because they're so important to your life. So let's stand together as we read God's word and let's see what Paul was trying to tell us, what God was trying to tell us through Paul, Ephesians chapter four, verse 29. And the words are on the screen if you did not bring your Bible, uh, Ephesians four, verse 29. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You are sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you along with all malice. 
and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul provides an emphasis on the power of our words and their effect on the Christian life. And a Christian's words can make or break your witness. Here is what you need to know that as I've pastored over the years, I've always had people say to me, if starting in my very first pastorate, I'd have people say to me, well, I can't believe so-and-so goes to your word. If you heard how they talked at, at, in the office, if you heard how they talked at the plant, man, if you heard how they talked on the job, your words directly affect your witness. But Paul is trying to tell us in Ephesians 4 that your words affect your witness and so much more. So in those four verses, I can easily break those down into three thoughts. Let me give those to you today. Number one, there is the worst word to say. The worst word to say. Here's what Paul said. No foul language should come from your mouth. Now, I shouldn't have to preach a sermon on foul language, right? I don't have to make a case for profanity, do I? Like, can we all just kind of agree that, you know, I shouldn't have to preach a whole sermon on a, a Christian shouldn't curse, right? Like, I don't need a whole sermon for that. You shouldn't curse on social media. You shouldn't curse in your family. You shouldn't curse on your job. You just shouldn't do it. Can all the non-cursing people say amen right there? Like, you don't need a whole sermon on that, right? Uh, that's the, the intent of the word there, foul language, goes beyond cursing. The word foul language there in the Greek means rotten, foul, corrupt, putrid, unwholesome, polluting. The believer, Paul is saying, is to stay away from any destructive language, any corrupt talk. Now, of course, it's talking about profane language. Of course, it's talking about unholy language. But it's also including more than that. It's talking about even what we might call worthless language. The Amplified uh, Bible gives a really good ex uh, 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 expansion of that verse. It says, let no foul or polluting language, nor evil word, nor unwholesome or worthless talk ever come out of your mouth. Foul, polluting, evil, unwholesome, worthless word should never, ever come out of your mouth. The worst words to say are words that do damage. Words that hurt people, words that are, are, are worthless, words that are polluting, words that are foul, words that are bad, words that are abusive. And he even takes it a step further. We've been told in verse 31 the attitude in which these words are often said. In verse 31, he said, let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander, and malice. Those, that, that foul language, that, that, that abusive language usually comes out with bitterness, someone that refuses to reconcile. Anger, which some, some translations translate that word anger, rage right there. It's an outburst of a quick temper. Wrath, which is continuous anger. That, and you've met those people, right? I ho hope you're not it, but you've met somebody that just wakes up mad, stays mad, and goes to bed mad, right? You've met those. That's wrath. Don't look at me. Look at me. Don't look sideways. Shouting, Paul's even telling you not to shout. Uh, slander, listen, slander is a word that means you're trying to hurt another person's reputation. Gossip, rumors, and then the word malice, which is the worst word of all. It's saying and doing evil and mean things. It's a deliberate attempt to hurt another person. So Paul said you have these this word you say, this, this abusive word that you say, and then you have the attitude in which it comes out. And here's what Paul's trying to tell us. It's not only what you say, 
It is also how you say it. That the worst word to say is a word that, that is said, a certain word that is said, and a certain word that's said a certain way. So here, here's what he's trying to say. The worst word to say is a damaging word said in a damaging way. The worst word to say is a damaging word said in a damaging way. When we speak out of those bad attitudes, when we speak out of bitterness, out of anger, out of wrath, out of uh, shouting, we speak out of slander, out of evil, out of malice, and we say damaging words, listen, you are going to mess up your relationships, you're going to mess up your family, you're going to mess up your testimony. You're going to mess up any success in life you want to have. And even beyond that, I don't have it on the screen, but look in verse number 30 with me, if you will. Verse number 30 says this, and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Why is it that in between these two verses on the worst word to say, we, we were told what not to say, we're told how not to say it. And right sandwiched between those is a word about grieving the Holy Spirit, grieving God. I'll tell you why. Because when we say those kind of things and those kind of attitudes, you're not just hurting the people around you. Listen, you're grieving the very heart of God. You won't remember this fire in all probability. It happened in August 24th, 19, uh, or August 24th, 2000. It was in Black Hill, South Dakota, and the fire raged for two weeks. That's just one photo of it. Started on August 24th, 2000. It wasn't put out until September 8th, 2000. And before it was done, 80,000 acres of valuable timberland had been completely decimated and burned to the ground. Tons of homes were lost. It all started when a 46-year-old lady named Janice Stevenson stopped on the side of the road in a dry part of South Dakota, and she smoked a cigarette, and she threw it on the ground, which was illegal in of itself, but watched it burn and start a fire. And while the fire was small, she continued to watch it burn, kind of thought it was funny, got in a car and drove away. Two weeks later, homes are gone. 80,000 acres are ravaged. It took 1,000 firefighters working 24 hours a day to finally get it out. A year later, Janice Stevenson was sentenced to 25 years in prison and fined $42 million. And she didn't have the $42 million, and the judge acknowledged that, but that was the cost of the damage she had done in the least. And I was reading the, the, the article about it, and here's... Here's what he said, that it was going to take decade after decade after decade before the damage done from that fire would be overcome. And some of the, some of the restoration would not even come in my lifetime. So why do you talk about a fire? Because James says this, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body. Sets the course of life on fire and it is itself set on fire by hell. The tongue is a fire. You have 
in your mouth, the capacity to start a fire that's going to cause all kinds of trouble, that's going to do all kinds of damage, that are, listen to me, it's going to make things hard to repair. Some of you here and you've got some work to do because you are living in the land of the worst word to say. You are saying damaging words in damaging ways and it's hurting those around you. And I'm just going to be gut level honest with you. I am going to give an invitation at the end of this sermon. Then I'm going to invite you to come forward. And there are people all over this building. Listen, in the earlier two services today, we've had people come to the altar before I could even get to the invitation. Why? Because you understand that you need to get in front of a holy God and say, God, help me. I'm always saying the worst things. I'm always saying the worst thing in the worst way. Some of you need to recommit yourself to reading the Bible and fill your mind with right things. Some of you need to get away from hostile people that you're, you're, you're catching this from. And some of you just need to come to the altar and say, God, I need help. I am, listen, I'm telling you, when you say the worst words, a damaging word in a damaging way, that's what's wrong with your marriage. That's what's wrong with your family. That's what's wrong with your relationships. That's, what's, that's why nothing in your life seems to go right. Your tongue has started a fire. And can I tell you, that damage is not easily healed. That's the worst word to say. Number two, Paul talks about the best word to say. In verse 29, he says, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. Now, some of you, let's be honest, in point number one, you just lost your whole vocabulary, right? Like now you're not sure, you're afraid to talk, right? It's like, just guard my words here. You've been so filled with negative, hurtful, damaging words, and you don't want to do it. It's a habit. And so Paul, when always, and we're in the middle of the passage where Paul talks about getting rid of the old man. Always when Paul talks about getting rid of the old man, he talks about bringing on the new man. He does that something here, because when you get rid of the old man, there's going to be a void, and you've got to fill it with something. And so he says what to fill it with, beginning in verse 29. He said, here's how you speak. Only speak that which is building up. It's a, it's a word in the Greek that means literally to build a house. When it's used metaphorically as it is in verse 29, it means to encourage someone to build them up of their life, to strengthen them with your words. And then he says, uh, speak words that impart grace to those who hear. And in the context of the verse, the word grace there means to bring joy or pleasure or, or favor into somebody's life, to bring kindness or, or some kind of benefit into their life. So here's what Paul says, that, hey, listen, don't say those uh, damaging words in a damaging way. What do I say? You say words that build people up, that encourage them, that bring joy into their lives. The words out of your mouth ought to be words that strengthen and build up others. Can I tell you this? You ought to be a delight to have a conversation with because you're full of encouragement and joy. When you walk into a room, the room ought to get brighter. Instead, some people, when you walk out of the room, again, look this way. When you walk into a room, it ought to get brighter. When you, ought, when you walk into a room, it ought to get happier. When you walk into a room, it ought to be more energetic. It ought to be more positive. Listen, when you walk into a room, listen, Christian, it should get holier. We're even told the attitude to say it in. And be kind and compassionate to one another. 
Kind is to furnish what's needed, be profitable, good for use, compassionate. Let, can I read for you the best Greek definition I found of the word compassion? The King James translates tenderhearted, and that's a great definition. But listen to this defini- definition expanded. It means to be aware of a person's hurts and sufferings, problems and difficulties, emotions and mental state, physical and spiritual condition. Be aware of a person's hurts, sufferings, problems, difficulties, emotions, mental state, physical and spiritual conditioning. Can I tell you this? We often plow into conversations with no regard for what somebody's going through where they are. And Paul said, don't be that way. Build people up, bring joy in their lives and be aware. You be aware. It's on you to be aware of what they're going through the problems they're in, the difficulty they're in. Paul's saying, hey, you figure it out and you speak to them words that'll build them up. Understand where they are, what they're going through, what they've been through, and you speak accordingly. Don't tell people what we want them to hear. Tell people what they need to hear in the moment. And I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, well, preacher, I just don't always feel like being that person. I get it. As a matter of fact, science will back it up. Uh, Twitter did say, let me, let, let me do a poll. How many of you are happiest in the mornings? Let me see your hand. Let's do, do a poll. Let's see. Happiest in the morning. All right. Great. Both of you. All right. How many of you, how many of you are happiest at night? Let me, let me, uh, at, late at night. All right. How many of you are happiest in the middle of the day? Let me see your hand. All right. So Twitter just called you a liar. And so here's, here's what Twitter said. They evaluated 509 million tweets. Hear that? 509 million tweets. And they studied the languaging of the tweets. And here's what they discovered. That you are the happiest from 6 to 9 a.m. Now, some of you don't know there's another six o'clock. It's, it's in the morning. It's way before you get up. It's in the morning, six to nine a.m. Or as we like to call it, right before you get to work, right? Like you're very happy before you get to work. And then we show at nine o'clock when you punch the clock, you know, cha-ching, that your happiness decreases and it peaks at a low from three to four p.m. Or as we like to call it when you've had enough of work, right? Like you're, I'm over it already. And then it slowly, very slowly starts climbing back up and it peaks again about 9 p.m. Now, let me tell you the problem with that. The place you have the opportunity to be the biggest witness for Christ at school or at work is when you don't really want to be encouraging to anybody. And Paul said, hey, you're going to have to make a concerted effort. The best word to speak is an encouraging, joyful word spoken with kindness and compassion. And you're not always going to feel like doing that. But that's what marks a Christian. As a matter of fact, can I tell you this? If you'll say an encouraging word in your work at 3 p.m., you will definitely stand out among the crowd. And Paul said, use your words to build up and joy, build up and bring joy. Some Some of you here need to quit giving people a piece of your mind and give them a word from your heart. You need to look at your wife and say, what can I say to my wife that would encourage her and build her up with no, uh, no other agenda other than encourage her to be kind to her and, and build her up. Some of you need to look at your husband and say, what can I say to my husband? No other agenda other than to encourage him, be kind to him and bring joy in his life and build him up. You need to look at your teenager and say, hey, what can I say to my teenager that bring joy into their lives, that build them up? What can I say to my parents that bring joy into their life? What can I say to my friends? What can I say to my church members, what could I say to my pastors? What could I say to a lost person? The best word in the world is a word that encourages someone 
with a heart of compassion. Number, number three, Paul talked about the hardest word to say, verse 32. This is the worst word to say. It's a damaging word said in a damaging way. There's the best word to say, which is an, an encouraging word said in kindness and compassion. And number three, the hardest word to say is in verse 32, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Now notice this, the hardest word to say is not I'm sorry. We would think that an apology was the hardest word to say. Now for some of us, an apology may be difficult. Apology is difficult for me because I never make mistakes. And so it's hard to apologize when you don't do anything wrong, right? Like it's, sorry about that. But um, it's not the, it's not even the hardest word to say, though some find an apology hard to say. The hardest word to say is not, I'm sorry. The hardest word to say is, I forgive you. When you've been getting in those situations, negativity, verbal abuse, forgiveness is going to be hard to extend. And let me tell you this. When there's been verbal abuse is really what Paul is talking about in the beginning. One person has to ask for forgiveness and change their behavior. And by the way, nobody ever buys the I'm sorry if it doesn't come with the behavior change. Can I tell you this? The behavior change ought to lead out in front of the I'm sorry. But then another person has to say, you're forgiven. And that also has to be accompanied with the behavior change. I'm sorry on one hand, but the harder thing to say is you're forgiven. So preacher, how do I forgive someone that has hurt me? How do I forgive someone who's harmed me? Now, here's, I think this puts it in perspective. For me, in my mind, it's how I can grasp the concept of forgiveness better than any other way. The best definition of forgiveness I've ever seen is this, to cancel the debt. See, when you are offering someone forgiveness, you are canceling the debt they owe you because you're right. If you have been wronged, if you have been hurt, if you have been abused, let me tell you something, you are owed something. Listen, there's some of you here today, you're adults, but you can't get over your childhood. You were owed a better childhood. Nobody's disagreeing. There's some of you today in a bad marriage, and listen, you were owed a better marriage. You were owed a better spouse. You were owed a better husband. You were owed a better wife. You were owed justice. You were owed restitution. Some of you here today, you're owed an apology. And I could go on and on and on. You say, well, preacher, I'll forgive them when they ask. No, no, no. It's not how forgiveness works. Forgiveness doesn't wait on the apology to forgive. Forgiveness cancels the debt where the apology is ever extended or not. The hardest word to say is I forgive you. And we're even told the attitude in which we are to forgive just as God also forgave you in Christ. Ouch. The opposite of forgiveness is bitterness. And can I tell you something? Bitterness will ruin your walk with God in life. You know, the old definition of bitterness is so true. It's you drinking poison hoping someone else dies. And if you have to choose between bitterness and forgiveness, always, always, always choose forgiveness. The hardest word to say. Now, I'm not making this up. Scientists, I, I, have, I, have, a, I have a URL, but you just come and Google it. You'll find it. 
I have a URL in my notes. I always document everything I say. I've got, I got something to back me up, a book or something to back up what I say. And, and so scientists have, verbed, have observed forgiveness behavior in all sorts of animals, specifically primates. So scientists have studied animals and their method of forgiveness. And what they've discovered is that especially when you look at baboons and monkeys and chimpanzees, that when one uh, animal hurts another animal, they, you almost always see a reconciliation take place. And even they've seen with chimpanzees where they will, they will hug one another or even give gifts to one another in, in a sign of forgiveness. And they've discovered it with all kinds of primates, gorillas, baboons, monkeys, you get it. They've even discovered it, get this, with goats and hyenas. They, somebody forgives another, the offending animal. There's one animal, this is not, I'm not making this up. There's one animal on the planet that as much as they've studied the animal, they have never seen the animal offer a sign of forgiveness. Somebody want to guess what it is? I'm not making this up. I ain't making it up. Is anybody surprised by that? That's how all cats look to me, by the way. <laughs> I'm deathly allergic to cats, and so, uh, I mean, anyway, I'm going to say some mean things, and all you cat lovers are going to get mad at me, so I'm going to stop. But yeah. that didn't have anything to do with my sermon. I just thought you cat people need to know that. that uh, <laughs> know I'm afraid too many times we act like Christians instead of, like cats instead of Christians. You know, we... <laughs> We've been wronged and well, I'm not canceling that debt. Preacher, you don't use don't know, preacher. I'm not canceling that debt. God, I'm not canceling that debt. We act more like a cat than we do a Christian. Did you know that science tells us that if you offer forgiveness, let me tell you what all it does. It improves your mental health. It relieves stress and anxiety. It physically, this stuff amazes me, lowers your blood pressure. You have fewer symptoms of depression. You have a, physically now, you have a stronger immune system and you improve the health of your heart by doing one thing, not taking a supplement or medicine or going to the doctor, by canceling the debt of people who owe you something. It's the hardest word to say, but it's always worth it. You can close your Bibles and I'm finished. I know what some of you are thinking here. I, I can answer the question before you. I can answer the objection before you say it. You're saying, well, preacher, that's a good, simple little Sunday school lesson there. That's fine for most people, but most people haven't been wronged the way I've been wronged. I get it. I get it. You know, I'm, not, I'm not even debating with you. you. You could be absolutely true. But a guy named Robert Enright, who is a psychologist, who did a groundbreaking study on forgiveness around the world. Here's what he said when he studied worldwide forgiveness, and I quote. He said, I've never found a particular injustice in the world that I don't know of at least one person who's forgiven the people who have perpetrated it. It's more accurate to say that there are particular people who are more or less forgiving. He said, I don't know of one injustice in the world 
where there's not at least one person who said, I forgive you. And in that closing line, there are particular people who are more like, listen, if there are particular people who are more or less forgiving, shouldn't the more particular people be Christians? More than that, I know what was done to Jesus. I know that every sin that's ever been committed in the world, no matter how you've been hurt, no matter how I've been hurt, that was all placed on Jesus. And hanging on the cross of Calvary. Listen, my mind can't comprehend this. Hanging on the cross of Calvary while he was still in the midst of being abused. Hear that? While he was still in the midst of being abused, Jesus said this, Father, forgive him. Nobody asked for forgiveness. No one was even contemplating forgiveness. And in the midst of being abused, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The worst words in the say, damaging words said in damaging ways. Some of you are here today, and you just need to find your way to the altar and say, God, hey, I need help with this. I've hurt people around me, hurt family, I've hurt friends, I've hurt relationships, I've hurt work, I've hurt church. Damaging word in a damaging way. So some of you need to come and say, God, I'm going to fill my mouth with the best words to say, an encouraging word said in a kind way. And some of you here, and you need, you desperately need forgiveness. You need to forgive someone who's not even asked for it. You need to cancel the debt you're owed. I'm acknowledging you are owed the debt. You just need to cancel it. Because your bitterness is killing you, not them. Would you stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, our pastors are coming. If you're here today and you want to become a Christian, our pastors are down here at the front. All you've got to do is walk down the aisle, take one of them by the hand and say, I want to become a Christian. They'll walk you through, pray with you, not going to embarrass you at all. Maybe you want to join the church, move your membership here, or be baptized. Come tell one of our pastors that and they'll walk you through that process. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Nobody, nobody moving around. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you'd say this morning, and nobody's looking but me, this is between you and God. I can't see you, I've got lots of eyes. But if you'd say, I want you to admit it before God. If you would admit, hey, I, I'm saying some bad words in some bad ways, and I need help from God this morning. Would you raise your hand, hold it up? I'm hurting my family, people around me. Thank you and put them down. How many of you would say this morning, hey, I've got, I need to forgive somebody and I need the help of God to do it. Would you raise your hand, hold it up? Just acknowledge to God, God, I need, I need, come on, come on. I need help. I need help, God. I need help. Thank you. Hands all over the building. So here's what I want you to do today. If you have a spiritual decision to come make, come talk to one of our pastors. Some are already here doing that. And 
Some of you Christians, you need to slip out and just come to the altar and say, God, I need help. I need help. My words, my, the attitude in which I say my words, damaging words in damaging ways. I'm hurting my family, hurting those that are around me. God, I need some help. And listen, there are some parents that for the sake of your kids, they need to see you walk the aisle. And some kids that for the sake of your parents and some husbands and wives, you say, well, I'm praying right where I can. Don't you dare sit in your seat this morning. Don't you dare. This is not a sermon to sit in your seat. This is an invitation to come forward and say, I, I got the help of God, I've got to change some things in my life. You just need to come right now. Just come. Some of you here, you need to forgive somebody and you, you've been struggling for years and sometimes decades of canceling a debt. Oh, don't, you're taking years off your life by doing that. Don't do it. Don't do it. Cancel the debt today. It's the hardest word to say. It takes the biggest man or woman to do it. Cancel the debt. Cancel the debt. Father, draw us with your spirit as you're spoken through your word in Jesus' name. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, Pvine.org. Thanks for listening.